Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author, and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together, and we have some great people helping us along the way. And one of our goals as parents, as educators, and coaches who work with children is to help kids to become resilient, to face challenges and use their strengths to keep going in both good and bad times. When children learn to cope with failure, to get back up when they fall, to change direction when they realize their mistakes, to take healthy risks, apologize, and ultimately just do hard things, they become confident in themselves, their abilities, and their self-worth. How do we build resilience in children and teens? There are specific areas that we can help our children and our teens to bolster, and they can exercise resilience so that they can thrive even against all odds and do great things in life. How do we get started? For that, we are going to turn to Dr. Ken Ginsberg. Ken Ginsberg is an MD, MSED, and is the co-founder and director of programs at the Center for Parent and Teen Communication and professor of pediatrics at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. He travels the world speaking to parents and professionals and young audiences and is the author of five award-winning parenting books, including Building Resilience in Children and Teens, as well as a multimedia professional toolkit on reaching teens. The Center for Parent and Teen Communication follows his strength-based philosophy and resilience-building model. I want to welcome you, Dr. Ken Ginsberg, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Thank you so much. Total joy to be here, Robin. I'm thrilled to have you. So before we get into the bulk of the interview, can you tell me what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in helping parents and educators build resilience in children and teens? The first part's easy. The second part's a harder question to answer. What gets me up in the morning is um, figuring out how to support young people to be their best selves. I'm an idealist at my core, and I know that the way to build a future is to build young people who are prepared to lead us into it. Um, I work with all sorts of families, and I work with some of the kids who have endured the hardest lives, and I know how much compassion and wisdom they have to bring to the world, and I want other people to see it and to know how to kind of support them to become their best selves. Mm. Um, And the parenting piece is really about the fact that if we pay a lot of attention to so many of the messages we receive as parents, uh, which basically says we don't matter anymore when our kids are teenagers, it makes us begin to withdraw from them because we don't think it's gonna make a difference precisely at the moment when we need to be diving in the most. Mm. 
And what gets me up in the morning is helping parents learn how much they matter. Mm. What a beautiful way of saying that. And and it is hard because our our kids' actions seem to be pushing us away at that time. And yet it's then when we need to be stepping forward. I love that your whole outlook is really strength-based. That's very much how I think. It's how I've always thought. Uh, strength building and resilience is, is just right up my alley. In fact, uh, my PhD is in, in child and teen development, and I studied positive youth development, which I know is at, mm. at a lot of what you do. Uh, throughout my doctoral work, my dissertation advisor was actually Dr. Rich Lerner, who's known for looking into the, the, the five C's and actually talks about contribution a lot and working against all odds. Um, to help kids thrive. So it was very much part of how I studied in in my 20s and became part of how I I view kids and teens. Resilience is is vital for all kids and becomes the deciding factor between which teens wind up faring really well in terrible situations as well as typical situations. So let's talk about the seven C's of resilience, which you talk about often, so that everyone can understand what contributes to a person's resilience, no matter what pressure they're under. Right. So in both good and challenging times, right? So resilience is not just about bouncing back or surviving the worst of times. It's about becoming your best self. Mm. And, you know, so Rich Lerner is like my hero. Oh, that's so I don't know funny. If you know that. No, I didn't. Oh, but when totally. I was reading up on all the things you were doing, I was like, this is this is absolutely Rich Lerner. <laughs> you know, so it much of it. Absolutely. Yes. So the first five C's that I'm gonna mention actually um are rich, yes. but let me expand upon them. Um, because the seven C's allows us not only to build youth, but to help youth recover from difficult times and not fall into difficult times. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about this. So the first C that you need is confidence, right? And we knew exactly how to give kids confidence, right? We went through 20 or 30 years of the self-esteem movement. We had kids draw butterflies and hung them on the walls and told them they were special as a butterfly. Mm -hmm. We had kids cut out snowflakes and tell them that they were each unique as a snowflake. We cheered their every moment of development. We cheered when they slid down the sliding boards and told them that they were like smart and brave and handsome while they did it. But we (laughs) forgot to tell them that gravity was helping them. Right. Right. And, and so we built confidence through self-esteem when really we should have been building confidence through the second C, which is competencies. Mm -hmm. We should have been noticing all that is good and right and helping kids develop their skill sets. So those are the first two C's. The next one is undoubtedly the most important one, Robin, Mm -hmm. human connection. The people who are going to thrive through good and bad times are the people who can reach out to others, the people who know that they matter to other people's well-being. Next is character. You know, Dr. Lerner says, think of character as what would you do if nobody was watching? If you thought everybody's eyes were closed, who would you be? Right. We want our kids to be the kind of people who are going to do the right thing because it's the right thing and they're driven. It's who they are naturally. And I believe that one of the centerpieces of parenting is to know your child's character from very early on. 
in when they're two and when they're three, because you'll know everything that's good and right about them. And knowing what's good and right about them is exactly how you bring them back during those difficult moments. The next one is contribution, right? So it's not just about you know, making the world better through contribution, through tikkun olam. It's not just that. It is actually about knowing how much you matter. When you know how much you matter to other people, it gets you through even the toughest times. Mm. But now let's begin shifting away from positive youth development mm -hmm. and begin going to resilience. I think contribution. So, so we already talked about it. In, when it came to connection, right? When it comes to connection, we know that the people who survive are the people who can reach, right? Um, but, but what enables you to reach, right? What enables you to reach? It's knowing there's no pity on the other end. You know, you asked me what got into this, and I said that was a harder question, but let me tell you part of it. Part of it is that when I was 17, I was deeply depressed deeply and nobody knew because my culture just makes us funnier when we're depressed mm -hmm. right um so i just laughed my way through it but it was also 1979 and being a sensitive man with intense emotions and a, and and just more feelings than i knew what to do with wasn't cool in 1979 mm -hmm. and i didn't reach to anybody but now let's think about your kids if you're blessed with a kid who feels so fully, who cares so completely, if you're blessed with that kid, then you also want them to know how to receive, how to receive when they need support. So the reason I think contribution matters so much is because the ultimate act of resilience is to turn to another human being and say, brother in your hand, mm. I'm only reaching if there's no pity on the other end. And how do I know there's no pity? because I know how good it feels to serve. Mm -hmm. And when I know how good it feels to serve, when it's my turn to receive, I can receive without shame, right? Mm -hmm. so, so that's beginning to take the seeds of positive development and transform them into resilience. Now let's add coping, right? Coping is more than just a competency. Coping is about the choices you make in life. You know, life's gonna be hard, that's a fact, right? And the merits of a human being or the measure of a human being is what choices do you make when life gets hard? The reality is that the things that work best to make you feel good are the quick and easy fixes, right? But, but Robin, as you know, anytime you hear the word quick, right, then you should think addiction. Mm. Well, well, sex and drugs and cutting and eating disorder, punching someone in the face, they all work so dang well that it's easy to get in the habit of doing them, but they destroy you. On the other hand, um, if we could raise kids and model for kids such a wide repertoire of positive coping strategies, that when time gets tough, and they will, right, they're gonna naturally go in the positive direction. That's something you do whether you're starting with your kid is two, right? And that's resilience is like, yeah, life can be hard, but I know how to enrich myself and enrich the world because I have positive coping strategies. And the final C is control. And this brings in discipline, but it also brings in recovery from trauma, Robin. You know, it, the ultimate insult to a human being is when they lost control over themselves in some way because something bad happened to them. 
And when adults try to lay on a control trip to kids or they discipline in the way that says, you'll do what I say, why? Because I said so. They make up rules that make no sense. That makes kids feel small, small. And on the other hand, when adults understand that our job is to have kids have an increasing level of control over their lives, to take on more responsibilities, to grow, to develop, then we're gonna parent differently. We're gonna parent by giving kids control, by watching over them. But instead of being all demanding, they're gonna always know how much we care. So instead of do as I said because I said so, it's gonna be, I love you so much, and I want you to grow. And I'm going to let you make some mistakes. I'm going to be there as you choose to pick yourself back up. But there are some things I'm not going to let you do because I love you too much. And I didn't let you put your hand on the stove when you were two. And I'm not going to let you get in this car with your friends who are drunk. I love you too much. That Mm -hmm. balanced style of parenting that is both loving, filled with guidance, sets standards, That is about giving control back to kids with your loving, loving presence. Mm. I love all of this and I am so appreciative of it. I want to dive into it a little bit more. So let's go into some of those specifics and kind of peel apart these C's a little bit more because I know that any of the parents who are listening really want to know the do's and don'ts. You've said some of them, but if we can delve into each one a little bit more so they can hear it. If we look at confidence, we know that we're not supposed to be puffing up our children with praise that actually means nothing and all those good jobs that mean absolutely nothing. Can you give us an example, even if we have to combine it with competence because those live together, of what, so we don't puff them up with false praise or praise on every single little thing they do, but on the other end, What can we do that would help our kids understand that they they can be confident in themselves, they can gain confidence without taking over, without overpraising, without bubble wrapping them? Can you give us sort of the do's and don'ts of, of those of either confidence or confidence plus competence together. So, so they all go together, Robin. Mm-hmm. This is a cobweb of seven C's, right. right? I could I could just make a poem out of how much these all link together. <laughs> but but let's um, let's really talk about what to do and what real confidence yes. is. The most important thing in terms of resilience, hands down, is that you have an adult who's raising you who believes in you without condition and continues to hold you to high expectations. Without condition means I'm not going anywhere, you can rely on my presence, and um, holding you to high expectations is not about grades, it's not about scores, it's not about trophies, it's about being your best self. When a kid understands that they're okay just the way they are, in the family that raised them, that the family that raised them really sees them as who they are, then they can withstand bullying in middle school better and they're ready to launch into adulthood safe and secure in themselves and ready to go find a lover who will appreciate them. So this is a unbelievably big deal. So the first thing to do is I want you to praise, but I want you to praise by authentically seeing who your kid is, Mm -hmm. right? And the kid has to own the skill set. It can't be 
that um, you've lavished praise on them because that just makes them really anxious because they're not going to live up to your potential. What you're trying to do is you're trying to look for things that are kind of behaviorally operational. In other words, you're seeing their resilience, you're seeing their compassion, you're seeing their fairness, their sense of commitment to others, you're seeing the things that really matter to them, and you're letting them know that you see these things, and you should praise it, and you should notice it, and you should say, I'm proud when you care about the woman across the street because you're worried if she's going to be able to get up this um, the stairs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yes, go. I'll walk you across the street and shovel her snow. You notice those things. That is beautiful. But you want to do it in a way that you're giving the kid the ruby slippers. In other words, at the end of your praise, they have to know that it's something they own. Just like at the end of Wizard of Oz, the whole Wizard of Oz was about looking for praise and looking for an answer from someone else, but it never works. What works and what is meaningful at the end of Wizard of Oz is when Dorothy realized she always had the answer within herself. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to see who our kids really are. Like, Robin, to me, love, love is seeing someone as they really are, like, as they deserve to be seen, not based on something they're producing or a label they're receiving or a behavior they might be displaying, that is something only a parent can really, really do. So notice those things that are special and praise them for it. Right. I, Here's what... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I'm on a roll. So, but, <laughs> but, but you can comment because I won't forget what I'm about to say. <laughs> well, what I was about to say was, you know, it's... For me, I, I, I resonate with that so much because I actually write a character education curriculum called Powerful Words, and uh, many of the coaches and educators are listening in right now to you talking about this, so it will resonate with them as well because um, they teach uh, a powerful word every month, and it's uh, scripts that allow them to really get engage in conversations with these with, with the children in their lives. And and. Part of that is what I call character connecting and really being able to see the kids when they exemplify any of the powerful words. There are many of them, whether it's open-mindedness or discipline or or respect for others or cooperation, open-mindedness, it could be anything. And being able to, instead of saying things like good job or overpraising or you know, uh, false praising, they can say and look at a child and say, you know what, I, I see the determination in you when you're doing this, that, and the other thing, it, it, it shows your determination. I see you as a determined person. And one thing I know about you is that when you start something, you always finish it because you are a determined person. And that allows them to take that, that piece of praise that you're giving them and, and say to themselves, well, that is who I am, and that is how I'm being seen by somebody who is extremely important to me. And I know the connection piece is so important, these coaches and teachers and, and, and key adults in the child's life, that when we can recognize that child for the character that they are bringing forth, then they can apply it to many things. The good job or the one-off, like, you know, oh, that was that was great that you did that, isn't as powerful as 
as seeing the child for their character because then they can apply that piece of character to everything that they do. They're determined in school. They're determined um, at home. They're determined in, in all the different pieces of work or goals that they set for themselves. So that really resonates with me and and the people who are listening in on this call who are, are teaching character and, and helping to develop the character of young people. So I really appreciated that and, and just want to um, underscore that, that great piece of of advice for people that we're raising good humans, but it's not all about what we we're saying, but also recognizing what these children are bringing forth and reflecting it back to them. Isn't that right? It is exactly right. You know, when you say reflecting back to them, it's like the next piece after giving them the ruby slippers is like you hold up the mirror. Mm. You let them know that you're really seeing it. You're, you're not making this up. And you also allow them to be uneven. I just want to say that. So like in your example about being determined, um, I loved it. I loved every word you said. And I want the determined kid to be able to have a lazy afternoon. Sure. Right? Yes. And, and, and I want parents to understand how uneven kids are. Mm. So Robin, you're actually speaking right now to the most uneven person in the universe, right? <laughs> like, like I am like so excellent at certain little things, what's happened to do with communicating with teenagers, but just please don't hand me a screwdriver. Yeah. You know, you know, please don't do that because I have no idea what to do. So it's really important that we celebrate our kids' successes so that they can sharpen their spikes and see what, what they're really good at. But I don't want, but I want everybody to be able to have off days mm. and I, just as we celebrate all that's good and right i want to be able to acknowledge when kids have limitations that's mm. good that's that's how you learn that's how you learn to reach out to other people right right i know i can't turn a screwdriver but i do know how to ask someone to help me mm. right mm-hmm. um so these are these are important things uh to know yes. um yeah I, I think we're definitely in agreement and you know, the, the kind of also in the what not to do and what not to do, you know, so much of this work is around growth and fixed mindset, which Carol Dweck mm-hmm. talks about mm-hmm. so or has researched so eloquently. And I think you can put it into a couple sentences to really understand it. You know, when you when you praise by saying you are blank, kids begin thinking that that defines them. Mm -hmm. They begin getting really anxious when they're not like living up to what they're supposed to be. And they don't like thinking outside the box because if I are good at history and now you give me a math problem, I'm like, I are good at history. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to try math, Mm -hmm. right? Um, Whereas when instead you change your mathematical sentence and it says um, you did blank and therefore blank happened. Like what you said, Robin, I noticed you're determined and that's why you got the problem done, mm-hmm. right? What that gives people control, mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. recognizes their competence. And, and it's also those skills are more generalizable than, than about specific products. So to me, it really is you did blank. I noticed you did blank and therefore blank happened. Mm-hmm. Wow. Look at Yeah. It's praise, but it's the skill set is yours. The power is yours. The control is yours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I can see that. And the control piece is obviously definitely beautiful work and a great add-on to these Cs because when we're talking about resilience, we certainly want kids to feel like they're in control of what's happening to them. So much of the time, kids are feeling out of control and and that many of the the decisions are being made for them. And then they feel like, well, what's the point to even try? So if you're talking about in a real life situation, whether it's through jobs or choices or privileges or or whatever else, can you give us some examples of, of do's and don'ts in that area that would help kids to not only develop control, but see that they're not passive recipients of life. They can make things happen for themselves. They can choose not to make things happen for them and then give them a a better sense of effect on the world and also better their chance for resilience. Let's really talk about what's happening. It's not just that we want our kids to develop. You know, in America, we have this, you know, um, rugged independence thing going. And we think that we're about raising our kids to be independent so they can be strong and master the world. But you know what, Rob and I want? I've got two 24-year-olds. I want to know my grandchildren. I want to see and speak to my kids frequently. My goal is interdependence, not independence, right? I want them to be able to stand on their own, but to want to continue to be involved with me in their life. And can you agree with that, that that's like a human goal? Absolutely. We, it's all about that connection piece. We want to keep it's, that connection it, even as they grow and become self-sufficient in many ways. Yes, it's intergenerational connection. That's our goal, interdependence. So here's the thing. If you install control buttons in your kid during adolescence, where you are so hovering or helicoptering or snowplowing or any of those right. wrong things then you're installing control buttons in them. And let me be clear about what happens. If you install control buttons during adolescence, they may listen to you, but when they get out of your house, they don't want to turn back because what you haven't done is communicate, I got your back and I trust you. Mm. I got your back, I'm watching you, and I want you to grow. And what that means is that when they're adults, they're not going to want you in their life because their memories are of being controlled. Instead, Mm. instead, we want them to understand why we discipline, why we have rules, why we monitor. And the answer is, it gets back to what discipline means. It doesn't mean to control. It certainly doesn't mean to hurt or to punish. It means to guide Mm -hmm. in a loving way. And the what we want to do is help kids negotiate with us. Their life is going to be full of negotiation. We want them to have more freedoms. We want them to have more privileges. But we also need them to be safe and need them to be wise and need them to be moral. So we really talk with our kids about what they, what privileges and freedoms they believe they can handle. Don't overstep now because if you overstep, and ask for things you can't handle, I'm gonna need to tighten the reins. I don't want to. I wanna be the wind behind your sails, right? Tell me what you think you can handle, and I'm gonna tell you what I need to monitor to make sure that that that's safe. 
and you like really negotiate. So I even have like a plan where you sit down and develop a responsibility contract mm. with your kids. But I got to tell you, for my own kids, I didn't sit down and write it out. We talked about it all the time. But for some families, you literally sit it down and you write it out. And the kid is like, this is what I want. This is what I think I'm ready for. And the parent goes, all right, you may be, but I need to know this to make sure you're also being safe and responsible. That way the kid knows exactly what you need, why you have rules. They know you have rules because you care and you're trying to protect them. And they're telling you what they need. This isn't about you controlling. This is about them trying to control their life and you're being the guide. You're being the safety monitor. So so if you're talking about something like, you know, a, a, a teenager who is feels feels that they're ready for a phone or they want to have access to electronics more than you're giving them, what would be the example of that type of conversation, given that a lot of parents are very wary of allowing their young teenagers or preteens to have a phone. Um, they're fresh, They're worried that they're going to use them too much. They're worried they're going to be using them in inappropriate ways. So what is it that we can say or do that would reflect this idea of, of control, but also reflect the values of, uh, of, of parents? Great. So the phone is actually almost too easy as an example, because it's literally the thing that is now what socialization is about. And it's the thing that we fear the most, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so the, so the first thing I would say is don't hand your kid a phone until they know how to look someone in the eye and have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Because once a kid is um, typing with their fingers, they begin thinking it's awkward to have conversations. And they begin, like, you know, not being able to answer a regular telephone. So you say to your kid, I think you're ready for a phone. But let me tell you what I worry about, and I want to make sure that we have an understanding before you get this. Um, and then you kind of go through it, and you say, I know that it's really easy to have a screen in your hand and to just like think of nothing's more interesting than the screen. I need you to know that family time matters to me, and my phone's going to be down at dinner time every day. You could pick anytime you want. I don't care if it's dinner. Yeah. I don't care when it is. But my phone is going to be down because this is family time that we're going to have together. I need to know that your phone is going to be down too and that this is going to just be about us and we're going to have good, still continue to have good times together. And any kid about to get a phone will go, okay, mom, I'll do that. Mm -hmm. But maybe put it in writing. Mm -hmm. You can talk about how you're, you're worried that you know that people on phones with phones are going to have more trouble going to sleep. Mm -hmm. Now's the time that you talk about you know, using night settings starting at 7 p.m. so that their brain adapts to a different color and they can more easily sleep. You talk about the phone needing to be charged in a central room mm -hmm. because lots of people use the phone um, in a way that uh, uh, they're, you know, they're being texted all night mm -hmm. and they're not sleeping as a result. You lay it out there in the beginning. You talk, like don't be afraid to talk about things like, cyberbullying mm -hmm. and sexting and say these are the kind of things that happen and it's so important to have the um 30 minute rule and to come to me first mm -hmm. and um uh so because what's out on the internet you will never get back 
And by the way, darling, because I love you so much, I'm going to be checking in and monitoring yes. these things as well. Yes. Just right? for those who have, don't know, what is the 30-minute rule? The 30-minute rule, whether you can make it a two-minute rule, a 30-minute rule, the overnight rule, is phones are so addictive and texting is so exciting that you just want to respond right away. Mm -hmm. And if someone says something nasty about someone else, you just want to get in on the conversation. Mm -hmm. That is so destructive. Right. Once you put it out, once you put the word out there, then it's never coming back to you. You yep, never real right. the word. It's mm -hmm. a different age than when you and I grew up, Robin. Mm -hmm. We had so many second chances, right? Mm -hmm. So much of some, it's not like I wasn't a fool. Okay, I did some, some silly <laughs> things, but nobody knows it. Exactly. Right? We no. don't even remember it. <laughs> That's so true. Um, but nowadays, things get uh, caught into memory, which means, uh, excuse me, goes into this collective yes. um, cyber memory. And what that means is you got to take some time before you react. That's right. Pause before you post. That's what we talked about with yeah. Sue Chef, who talks about online shaming. You know, I, I, th I think what you're saying is really important to have that delay and to, you know, it's just, it seems to me that what you're saying is make sure that if you have whatever concerns you have, lay them on the table and discuss them, and then you can you can work around them. If you just have your fears and you don't discuss them and you just say no, then you're not moving forward with your child and you're not creating the connection and you're not creating the ability to transfer that control. I would love for us to go into some of the other types of common situations with teens, since you specialize so well in teens, that where we could maybe hear a little bit more about how we would apply some of these seven C's since they work so beautifully together. So how about if a child, if a teenager is struggling to, they're not doing their homework or they're fighting back or they're not working really hard or cramming in at the end. And if we're working to build resi resilience in them, what would we say or do if we start to see that they're not really getting their job done which is their school, their schoolwork, and yet we seem to have been trying to relay to them. Well, you know, we want you to take control of this. This is your work. So, how do we kind of get through that hard spot when we may have given them some of that ability to have control, but maybe they're not they're not able to take on that control as much as as much as we'd like them to? What's going on there? Yeah, so there's multiple um, answers to this question, but let's first talk about what not to do. Okay, what perfect. not to do is your kid's homework, right? <laughs> yes. What not to do is to rescue them mm -hmm. um, because the message is very, very clear then. It's, I don't think you're capable. Right. Okay, now let's talk about what to do. And I'm going to put it in a broader model, Robin, um, and it's possible that some of your listeners are going to get mad at me, but let's do the broader model. Remember that what's happening is adolescence is about asking the question, who am I? Think about this as a huge jigsaw puzzle that you need to, you have a thousand pieces in front of you, you have to put together the puzzle. How do you begin putting together the puzzle? The edges, yes. you put together the edges. That is clearly the parent's job, right? Clearly the parent's job. That's what discipline is, that's what monitoring is, and when kids have the edges of the puzzle, they can kind of rub their elbows against it. They can still um, 
pushed it to have new experiences close to the edges without going overboard. Mm. What's the next thing you do when you're putting together a puzzle? You put together the pieces in the middle that have the same color. You just begin grouping them. So you might put together the reds or the blues and you put together a red and you're like, is that a cherry? Is it a fire engine? Is it a strawberry, a blue? What could that be? And what do you do? What do virtually all of us You have to look at the box cover. Yes, yes, yes. You cheat. You cheat, right? And, And that's who we are. We're the role models. So when we show them what it means to be a healthy adult, what it means to be a healthy 35, 40, or 50-year-old, and by we're showing them the picture of the box, and then we have the edges beyond which they cannot stray. What's left? It's all those irregular pieces. That's where we let our kids fall down. That's where we let them make mistakes. That's where we let them learn their unevenness. That's where we let them learn how to recover mm-hmm. within a safe boundary. And here's where your people might get mad at me. School is within the safe box. Mm-hmm. You don't let your kids put a hand on the stove. You don't let them get in a car with someone who's drunk. You don't let them do drugs, but you do let them mess up in school mm-hmm. because it is an ideal way to learn. Mm-hmm. But now let me give you one more, one more um, answer. There are skills we can be teaching. There are competencies and skills that until you know them, you just don't know them. And that can be parents' job. So I am a deeply distractible boy who grew <laughs> up to become a doctor, all right? And um, what would have been lovely would have been for me to learn study habits. It would have been lovely for me to understand how not to get distracted. It would have been lovely for me to understand that burning off my energy by running in place or running a mile is exactly how I can begin to think, right? By burning up that energy first. Parents can do that. Parents can make sure that you have a, um, a safe, secure place to study, a place with minimal distractions. Parents can help kids understand that no, I know you think that you can multitask and do seven things at once, but that is actually not true, mm-hmm. right? Um, we can help them do that. We can be available for tough questions and get involved in beautiful intellectual discussions. What's more exciting during adolescence than having your kid move for, into the like, what if, what's gonna happen mm-hmm. then? What is like this? How do we fix the world? How do we fight for justice? We should be having those conversations. We should be helping them form their ideas and their thoughts. And in that way, we're helping them with their papers because we are being a sounding board Mm -hmm. that is helping them think through all the ways in which they're growing. Yes, yes, yes. Typing Mm -hmm. their paper? No, no, no. no. Right. And and what about if we're talking about school as the safe zone, then what about other failures? Like they come home, they didn't get the part in the play, they didn't get on the team, they weren't invited to the party, they didn't qualify for the special program, they failed. So what are we saying or doing when life is sort of dealt our child some lemons that can then help them to move forward even though they just fell on their butt. So the first thing is 
our unconditional love really matters right now. You know, the thing that's going to be most painful to your kids is when their friends turn against them in middle school, when they're bullied. If your kid yes. is an out-of-the-box kid, yes. um, you know, either, um, you know, maybe by sexuality, by something else, our unconditional love is the most important mm -hmm. thing that we do. But then we speak the language of resilience, right? We don't belittle. We don't say, oh, don't worry about it, it's nothing. Right. That's not validating, right? Um, we don't say, um, oh, it's not a big deal. We don't do that because it is a big deal to them. Mm -hmm. But we give them the language of resilience and we let them know we're gonna be along their side. So we don't say it, it's not a big deal, but we do say it hurts. Mm. You're gonna get through it and I'm gonna be here when you need me, you're not alone. Right. So you give them the, the power. Um, you, you, you know, uh, you don't say uh, this is horrible. It could ruin your life. Gosh. Right. Um, but you do say, like, this is a really big deal. And your greatest strength is how much you care about things. And I hate that you're in pain right now. But gosh, I love how much you care. Mm -hmm. Don't ever give that up. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. And just letting them know how much you you get them and and making sure they know that they can they can fall down and you'll be there to to be with them while they're while they're on the ground. Um, but, but also be honest. Yeah. Like if 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 they didn't put in an effort for something. Oh, say, yes. I know how disappointed you are. What could you do next Yes. Time? What lesson did you learn? Yes. And, and Robin, you talked earlier about how your folks are into words. Yes. So I know you've talked about the word yet. Right? Yes, yes. We're very yeah. into yet. We've done a lot on Carol Dweck and yeah. mindset and mental strength. Absolutely. Yeah. But, 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 but your job, so all of that is lovely, but the job that nobody can do as well as you is the real empathy and letting them know they're not going to get alone. Um, they're not going to go through it alone. But can we talk about empathy one more, uh, one more deeper dive, yes. Robin? Can I do that? Yes. Don't over-empathize. Mm. In other words, um, kids don't want a lot of drama from you. They <laughs> want to know that you're there. So, you know, the classic example is, Mom, I had this big fight with Susie and I'm oh. never going to be friends with her ever again. Yes. I completely hate her and we were going to grow up together and we were going to marry brothers and our kids are going to be cousins and I had it all planned out and she was my best friend always and now I completely hate her. If you then go and respond, well, I don't blame you, little darling. She's a little bee, and I don't like her mom either. Yes, and by the way, I've been holding on for the, to this for so long, and now I'm going to unleash. And, and who's her friend? Who is Susie the next day, Robin? Yeah, the best friend again. Exactly. Oh, but gosh, you will literally yes. never know. Yes. You will literally never know because you have taken sides and you have over empathized. And as a result, you'll never hear again what's going on. And your kid loves you so much that if their pain becomes your mm -hmm. pain, then they stop talking to you. Mm -hmm. So instead, you talk about what a privilege it is to be there for them. Mm -hmm. You know, yes. I wish I could just hug you and make this go away, darling. I really wish I could. And if I could, I would, but I can't. Yes. yes. But here's what I'm going to tell you. I believe in you. I think you're going to get through it. And I'm always going to be here for you. That's yes. very different than breaking into tears in pain because of their pain. 
because they're yes. not going to come back to you. Yes, I love that. I think that's really important. So can you finish the sentence for us? The best way to build resilience in children and teens is? To love your kid without condition, to accept them just as they are, to make them feel secure in the world. Right. It's all about that feeling of connection and making sure that your kid knows that you're there. Give us your top yep. tip. What do you want us to come away with after listening to you talking about resilience today? I want parents to know how much they matter. Mm -hmm. This isn't just about resilience. So, you know, as a developmentalist, Robin, you know that the fundamental questions that adolescents ask are, who am I? Am I normal? And do I fit in? Mm -hmm. I think we have to begin speaking about what the fundamental question of parenting adolescence is. And that is, do I still matter? And the answer is resoundingly yes. Kids need us in their lives. They need us to teach them how to navigate the world. And we should be drawing nearer to our adolescents, not hovering, honoring their growing independence, but drawing emotionally nearer and being really available to them. And to do that, you have to refute some of those messages that are out there that are just dead wrong about adolescents. Mm -hmm. Adolescents do not think they're invincible. That's a lie. Adolescents are not self-centered. That's not true. Adolescents do care deeply about what adults think, um, even though we think that, you know, that they don't. Mm -hmm. We have to understand who adolescents really are so we can have the most impact in their lives. Mm. I think that's great. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Uh, we, in so much of the research, young people really feel that adults don't believe in them and then don't get them. And, and I think the more that we can show that we don't believe in those myths that we're seeing these kids for who they are and the amazing things that they bring to our lives and the lives of others, the better off we will all be because they will be able to rise to their potential, but also feel supported by the key people in their lives. Can you give us the resource of the week? Where can we go to get more information about you and all the work you're doing? Yeah, so the one-stop shop would be um, parentsandteen.com, mm -hmm. um, which is a very comprehensive website that is rooted in the best of science, but it shouldn't feel like that. It should feel um, very similar to if you're reading a blog about how to parent, um, but it really gives you lots of ideas about how to strengthen your family connections. It also has, um, it will help your kid. Your kid can go through their own interactive stress management plan. They can design for themselves healthy ways of managing stress and therefore to be resilient. Excellent. Thank you so much for that. And I just want to thank you for coming on today and talking to us so much about resilience. I really love your seven C's and bringing it into such an accessible light so that we can see how to apply it to our own families as parents and as educators and as coaches. I know that it's going to be extremely meaningful to everybody. So I, I just want to appreciate you and, and let you know that what you said was important and it's going to be really helpful in our, our lives. So thank you. Thank you. It was an honor and privilege. Thank you, Robin. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends, I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook, go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page, or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram at drrobinsilverman. I will be going back and forth with Dr. Ken Ginsburg as well as his wonderful center because 
we want more people to learn about all of these strategies and what we have talked about today. And if you love the podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it. The more that we talk about it, the more that we rate this, the more that we review it, the more people will find out about it and be able to use Dr. Ginsburg's great strategies in their own home. So I truly appreciate that. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagement, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this, you're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. Perhaps you heard something today and you, oh, you're scratching your head. You're punching yourself in the arm. You're saying, why did I do that? No, no, don't shame yourself. We've got this. You're getting this information. You can change it. You can do it differently tomorrow. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you are 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.